Hello and welcome to episode number 22 of the I Am a Champion show. Uh, I'm your one of your hosts, Jason Holzer, along with Jimmy Huber and Jonathan Flower, the originator of this idea from his 23 million viewed video of I Am a Champion. Fellas, good morning to you. Happy Friday. How are we doing today? I'm doing great, man. It's a good bit of good week and everything. Things are just looking up. I'm having a good time. I'm looking really looking forward to our, our guest, Shay. Um, talk to a major league baseball player, former all-star. So hearing his journey and how he's talked, I'm just, I'm looking forward to it. And I know Jimmy's just waiting at the bit to talk about. Hey, hey, I do want to get into something real quick before we get Shay on. Kudos to Jonathan. As you mentioned, Jason, his I am a champion talk on YouTube. If you haven't seen it, you need to click. You need to search Jonathan Flyers. I am a champion talk. Go see it. It'll lift you up, motivate you. But Jonathan, I saw a text you received from an individual Yes. That told you, you kind of saved his life. He's gone through dark times. You lifted him up. You helped him take the next step, go the next day. And I'm telling you, that type of stuff right there, the impact you made off of that, congratulations, because that life being saved has impacted other lives throughout family, friends, or whatever in that person's life. And it's not just him. It's many other people you've done. So I just wanted to give you a credit and a shout out. You haven't seen it. YouTube, I am a champion. Right, Jonathan Flowers, and you will be a great, great, I'm telling you, thing that you did. And it'll be something that'll lift you up, motivate you, inspire you to do amazing things. Oh, man, I appreciate you, Jimmy. I get emails like that every week about somebody going through a tough time. And sometimes I respond directly and sometimes respond broadly. But it's just nice to know that something that I thought was just simple for a, young, a bunch of young kids has really changed things. And it's led me to a lot of other things, opportunities in broadcasting and just getting my voice out there and I'm, Hey, it, it allowed me to meet you guys and we become mm-hmm. like the greatest of friends and stuff like that. So I'm, well, I'm just humbled and honored by it. Well, we're about to bring Shay Hillenbrand on to uh, also show how we can be a champion because Shay was a guy, he'll tell us this in a story. He was a dude that had everything, but didn't inside didn't feel like he had anything. So now he's re you know, established his life and he's the all-star off the field whenever before he was just an all-star on the field. So we're going to bring him on right now. Shay Hillenbrand, good morning to you, man. How you doing today? I'm doing awesome, man. How you guys doing? Doing well, doing well. You know, Shay, uh, let's just dive right into it right now. Like you were a guy, you were at the top of the world of the baseball field. You know, you told me one time you were flying in a jet that goes what, like 200 miles an hour faster than the average airliner. And you look down, you're like, man, I feel like I have everything, but I'm empty inside. Can you kind of describe that? Because a lot of us feel like, you know, MLB players, they got the world at their fingertips, but it didn't seem like that for you. It's what it kind of seemed like. Yeah, and that's exactly true. And I think this is uh, a common theme across professional athletes. It's kind of a, a swept under the rug. And I'm trying to pioneer this movement to provide a voice for professional athletes out there because we have ego, we have pride. We're treated, you know, at such a high level of, of a human being, kind of like God esque. And I say that very sensitively. And uh, I mean, I, I mean, I'd have little girls in the stands holding up signs saying, will you marry me, Shane? I do autograph signings for $10,000 an hour. And girls would come to the table like crying and shaking just because they got to meet me. So how do you process that if you don't understand who you are? But what they couldn't see is that deep, deep pain resonating inside myself, fueling that pain driven game. So, we, you know, if you pull back the layers of the onion, it becomes an identity issue becomes an identity challenge that so many of us go through, whether we're in middle school or high school or college or, or we're getting off into endeavor as a, as a 
new parent or a spouse or, or a new job. It's all identity. And if we don't know who we are before we go into what we do, and if that uh, job or whatever you're pursuing becomes to be more of a high pressure situation, it's so easy to attach your identity to that. So I'm flying to the all-star game in 2005 from Chandler airport to Detroit, Michigan, and I'm flying in a citation 10 jet. Like you said, it's the fastest civilian jet in the world. I'm thinking I'm pimping. I'm thinking I'm bad Shea Hillenbrand and I'm riding off nothing but ego. And that's what happens is so many of us at that level is that if we don't have fulfillment on the inside, we have a tendency to bridge that gap with our external performance with our ego. And I, and I say the definition of ego is edging God out. So I'm doing it on my own. I'm doing it my way because I'm the one that got me there. So I'm flying 640 miles an hour, 664,000 feet, and I'm going to my childhood dream, getting ready to play in front of 100 million people the next day. Mind you, the Midsummer Classic is the only game that no other sports venues are going on at that time. And it's just by myself. I don't have my wife, my children. I don't have my entourage, my friends. I don't have any distractions to hide behind. So it's a pilot. It's a co-pilot. It's myself. And I look out the window. I'm so high, I can't see the ground. It's pretty eerie. And I'm just cruising on top of the world. And the thoughts going through my mind are, like you said, it's, is this all it is? Is this what it's, is this what it's about? Like, like, I hate everything about this stuff because I hate who I am because I don't know who I am. Here I am on top of the world and I have anything and everything I've ever wanted. I have $20 million in the bank. I'm, 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 I'm private jets, multiple mansions, 300 pairs of shoes. Like I, I love shoes. So don't judge me and, and I have anything and everything, but I don't have fulfillment. I don't know who I am and I don't own my life. Mind you, I was that kid in fifth grade that when Mr. Murphy came around, the teacher says, hey, let's dream today. What do you guys want to do when you grow up? What's your dream? And I'm vigorously raising my hand in the back of the room like, pick me, pick me, pick me. And he says, all right, Shane. I said, I'm going to play Major League Baseball and I'm going to own a zoo. And all my classmates laughed at me. And I said, I'm going to do it. So I actually did that. But through the process um, through stories that I told myself in my adolescence with my father that formed a perspective inside myself that so many people do. And that perspective ultimately broke me. So Shay, I mean, I, I not to level you've been, I mean, but I've been balling there and riding with a bunch of other guys and being in the jets and doing stuff and walking into hotel rooms. And I mean, with all due respect to people listening, like, women throwing themselves at you at the bar or the bartender walking over and say, here's a hotel key. Like lady down on the bar loves you and wants to get to know you better, whatever. And spending money that was stupid. But I mean, but I'm going to add a, a special component to it because it's African-American, it's black history month. So I wanted to add a special component to that is especially for um, black athletes or entertainers or people in that limelight, you're suddenly able to hide away from the racial stuff you deal with. You're not a black guy. I'm Jonathan Father. I play for the Raiders. And people will talk to you and interact with you where they wouldn't have you just walking down the street. And I remember Charles Barkley saying to Reggie Miller one time, like, you know, we don't get treated like normal, but people of color. We don't. We get, we're, we're that athlete, that persona first. And so I do get what you're saying. But to the listeners out there, when you're feeling all that stuff and you're thinking all this stuff, they're going, how could this person possibly hate themselves? Go a little more into why do you think that you were like that? 
where that came from, that like not like loving or liking yourself with all this stuff around you. Absolutely. I, and I can totally understand what you're talking about is I don't have to deal with uh, uh, being African-American because I'm an athlete. Like, like I can't relate to that, but I can relate to those inner demons and the external pressures and the things like I was labeled as the cancer of the clubhouse. I was labeled the a-hole in the clubhouse. I was that angry guy that I could hit the heck out of a baseball, but I was angry. Like, like I told you, I've been a top performer pretty much my whole life. And I lived out both my childhood dreams, but I wasn't always that way. And my story is really um, simple compared to most people's stories. But what I want to convey to people as I share it with you guys is that your story that you tell yourself is your truth. And your foundation of who you are is based off of your truth. And your truth comes from your story and your perspective. So I'm sitting on my bed at 14 years old. I've just finished middle school, junior high, and I'm going to high school. Like formative years, right? Identity. And I found my identity through my solitude of friends, community of friends. And I was pretty good at sports. I was one of the better players where I was. My dad walks into my room and he says, son, he drops a bombshell on me. He says, we're moving out of state. And at 14 years old, I was stunned. I was devastated because I didn't really understand how to navigate the internal emotional being of who I was. And I was a pretty emotional kid. And the story I told myself when my dad left the room was, I'm not lovable. I'm not good enough. And my dad doesn't love me. How can he do this to me? So that story that I told myself that day from that experience formed a perspective. And this is where it all starts with everything. We have experiences and we have a story from experiences that we go through. And the perspective that we form from those experiences forms our identity of who we believe to be true about ourselves and how we view the world through the lens that we create through that narrative inside of us. So when I left Arizona, California, beautiful California, Southern California, palm trees, beaches, to the hot desert of Arizona, I decided to become an overachiever through athletics. I'm like, I'm going to do everything I can not to go to the top to get millions and become a major leaguer, but to get the love and approval from my parents. So I put my head down and I worked really hard. Every chance I got, I was in the backyard throwing the ball against the wall, kicking the soccer ball against whatever that was to escape that internal world of hell that I created from those personal narratives that I believed about myself. So high school, I became the number one soccer player in the state of Arizona. I had chances to play in Europe. I had chances to play at four year universities, but growing up in Southern California, a diehard Dodger fan sitting at the top deck of the stadium. Uh, when I was eight, nine, 10 years old, I said, I'm going to play major league baseball one day. I'm going to be down there one day. And what I did was I engaged my senses. I hear the crack of the bat, the roar of the crowd that feel the energy of the crowd, the smell of the grass. And I'd always imagine myself now batting number 29. Ever since like 10, 11, 12, that I go home at night and I lay in bed and I just vision it like cash a million dollar paycheck, being on ESPN, seeing the cameras and being in the stadiums or the lights. And I did that. So I walked on at a local community college after high school out here in Arizona because I had no chance to play baseball after high school. And after my sophomore season of junior college in college, I became the number one baseball player in Arizona at the junior college level just because I I mean, I had a little bit of a talent, but I was the first guy there, last guy to leave every single day. I outworked everybody. I was just like solely committed. I don't know what y'all are doing. I'm going to the big leagues. I made a post today on social media that when I got drafted by the Red Sox out of junior college, like that's when 
everything changed for me. I told all my friends that I got drafted by the White Sox. And they're like, at 20 years old, not like, like a kid. Wow. And like, they're like, what are you talking about? You got drafted by the Red Sox, like one of the most prestigious organizations. Like, it's crazy. I'm like, wait, wait. I don't care what socks it is. I'm going to the big leagues. <laughs> <laughs> so after five years of playing minor league baseball, uh, I was player of the year, three of the five years. And uh, I gave, got, got my chance to play major league baseball. And when I was standing on the field in Baltimore, Maryland against the Baltimore Orioles, I was starting at third base for the Red Sox. And I can't even believe I was there. I had mixed emotions. I, I was crying because I was like, I, 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 I'm in the big leagues. But internally... I had this void and this pain from that perspective from 14 years old over and over. You're not good enough. Your dad doesn't love you. Uh, you can't do it. I just, just beat myself up with that negative thinking and that negative self-talk. And it was crazy because all I was trying to achieve when I got to the big leagues was approval from my father. So as you get drafted or as you go to a professional athlete, you can relate to this, Jonathan, um, the pressure to succeed is so great that you have a tendency to lose yourself if you're not grounded, if you don't know who you are. And it's like cutthroat. It's like crazy. It's like like survival of the fittest. It's like I got to go out there and I have to look out for myself because everybody else is looking out for themselves. And I got to do everything I can to have success. So I liken it to this. When I go to the stadium every night to play a game, because baseball we play every night. We have maybe three days off a month. I had a hitting coach. I had a fielding coach. I had a strength coach. I had a throwing coach. I had a mental coach to focus on the focus on the performance. We had a videographer that videoed every, analyzed everything on the field for what we could do with the performance. We had an orthopedic surgeon. We had a chef. We had a massage therapist. We had trainers. We had chiropractors. We had physical therapists. Had anything you ever wanted because it is a multi-billion dollar industry, right? When you go to the top to work on the performer. And this is what I want everybody to pay attention to if they get anything out of this uh this uh this interview with me is that when i left the stadium every night i didn't have anybody i didn't have any mentors i didn't have a coach i didn't have anybody guiding me shay hillenbrand the person i had everything in the world i needed as resources to work on shay hillenbrand the performer but what I understood through the process is that I didn't trust anybody because the higher you go, you have this idea in your mind that everybody wants something from you. Everybody wants to get at you. They want money. I've given away over a million dollars to help people. I've bought houses and cars and all this stuff. And this is everybody's trying to leech onto you. But what I realized through the process is the reason why I didn't trust anybody else is because I didn't trust myself. And the reason why I didn't trust myself is because I didn't know who I was outside of Shea Hillenbrand, the two-time MLB All-Star. So that led me to the point to where I'm in the prime of my career, two-time All-Star. I have $20 million in the bank. Like I said, I have highlight after highlight after highlight on Major League Stadiums across North America. I could rock it in the stadium. Actually, I hit game-winning home runs in Yankee Stadium. I'd be on ESPN. I could step to the plate in Yankee Stadium, but I'd go out that night at a five-star restaurant in New York. And I'd be having a $4,000 meal like you're talking about. I have my entourage there. And I'd sit at the dinner table and I'd almost pee my pants every time in the restaurant because I'd fear if I got up and walked across the restaurant to use the restroom that everybody would be staring at me. 
I had no self-confidence as a person. I had no self-esteem as a person. It's so important that we understand how to leverage the sports that we have to teach working on the person. So in the prime of my career, when I had everything, I was numb to everything and everybody around me because that perspective I formed at 14 years old, I'm not lovable, I'm not good enough, my dad doesn't love me. So I quit. I walked away in the prime of my career, leaving $50 million on the table of potential Dude. earnings. Oh. And I just left. Oh. Hey, Shay, Shay, I want to I get into this because you mentioned identity and you mentioned how it started for you when you were you know, kind of middle school uh, with your dad. And there's so many times that kids get conditioned at young ages, their environments, right? The stories they come up with who they are and it's not really who they are, right? And they're struggling with their self-image or confidence. Tell me this, what could you tell parents? What could you tell maybe coaches who work with young athletes? What are things they should be doing to make sure they're developing the proper identity, developing confidence, a good self-image in young people? What are recommendations you can give to, to parents and coaches? Yeah, it's a great question. And uh, I liken that to what Oprah says. She says it best. Uh, and I always quote this every podcast. Oprah says, you're in charge of filling yourself up and keeping yourself full. And when she's saying that, she's talking to the adults. So my thing is, I think the coaches, I think the mentors, I think the teachers, I believe the parents, you need to work on yourself. Like we need to work on ourselves more than we need to work on our, our children, our athletes, our students, whoever we're mentoring, whoever we're guiding. So many coaches, so many parents, so many teachers, they don't work on themselves. And I'm a prime example of that. When I was on top of the world, I didn't work on myself. So how do you know what you want if you don't know who you are? How do you have you know the gifts and the talents, the energy, your, your voice? It, it's, it's all in what you do for yourself you're in charge of filling yourself up you have to work harder on yourself than you do your job so with the parents with the coaches with the mentors what i see that's happening is you have a kid that's on a varsity baseball team or a varsity sport and he's getting treated like crap he's getting treated like crap but pressure from his parents pressure from the coach pressure from everybody else around because it's a financial investment you can't do this because the coaches are struggling and then return that that, that varsity athlete doesn't feel good about himself so what's his out he goes into the school, and when he goes into the school, he's the one that bullies the other kids. And the other kid that gets bullied from the varsity athlete, he's the one that doesn't want to exist anymore. He's the one that's going to go to major extremes to want to either end his life or do something for repercussions with that. So we need to understand with the sports, especially at a youth level, which I refer to as high school and down, that, man, what does this sport have to offer? We need to be able to teach life lessons, navigating failure, understanding that your identity is number one that we got to focus on with these youth athletes, because he's, the identity with these youth athletes, it's all right here. Social media, it's, it's all of that. You understand, like you have to identify who you are. How do you gain self-esteem? We need to teach self-esteem, self-confidence. You have to keep the promises to yourself. Whether it's making your bed in the morning, whether it's doing your chores, whether it's taking out the trash. I do that. I have a four-step process for taking out the trash, mowing the lawn, making the bed. I drive my wife nuts. I'm like a military mindset, but the uncluttered mind is systematic. And if we could teach the kids just that, they're going to get self-esteem. They're going to get little wins throughout the day. And that's how you get self-confidence and self-esteem with yourself, not externally. 
So many of us now are empty on the inside and we don't want to share that. And through that, we try to find that validation externally and other places. We know how that ends up. Yeah, external validation is really hard to fight. Um, and I know, Jason, you can jump in here real quick, but it's one of the things I would tell people that are coaches out there. One of my coaching methods I, I worked on really hard is going along with what Shay said is, I focused on the kids on the team that weren't the starters, that weren't the superstars, that weren't the quote unquote didn't get didn't have that shine. I let my assistant coaches focus on the stars, focus on the best players because they were going to help us win our strategy. That was part of the whole game. We are trying to win. But when you have the head coach focusing on those kids that are that that you know lower 10 or 15 percent in talent or ability or what you perceive is that. What do you think they do? They go home and tell mom, coach is always talking to me. Coach Flowers is talking to me. He said this to me that day. That's a methodology to me where I wish coaches and parents would understand is the athletes that aren't those superstars focus on them as much because they're going to see that they're going to see that this person is, I guess, being humble because like, you're working on yourself while you're working with them. You're reminding yourself of that stuff. And I just think that that's a perfect technique to, to segue what you said. Shay. But yeah, go ahead, Jason. I know you wanted to say something there. Well, yeah, Shane. I so you have a you have a process called MLB mindset. That's one of the systems that you you have in place. Um, would you mind sharing with us, like, hey, let's say I'm 14 year old Jason, right? And I'm like, want to go to the majors. I'm like, hey, Shay, how can I build my self esteem? How can I build my self confidence, like you just talked about? What is the system that I can unclutter my mind that you've developed? Because I, I've heard you tell it before, and I think it's brilliant. So, if you mind, wouldn't say. Yeah, thank you. So I just uh, MLB mindset formula, Major League Baseball player um, mindset's the number one thing that we need to work on, I believe, for all of us. And I, I had to do it myself and I had everything in the world and, and I was so empty inside through that process. So I, I use myself as as the prime example. And MLB mindset stands for momentum, language and belief. Like those are three powerful principles that I haven't found anybody to be able to debate that. We can debate religion, we can debate sports, politics, uh, the pandemic, but you can't debate these because life's about momentum, right? And if you get into momentum by stacking little wins on top of each other, was what uh, professional athletes do, is you'll get rewarded. It's a universal law. I don't know how it happens. I don't know. It's, it's just the universe just makes it happen to where it's like, just gain momentum. You got to do little steps every single day and master the small things, regardless of where you are. Like I became one of the best hitters in the world of hitting a baseball. How did I do that? I walked on at a junior college out of high school. I mastered step one, hitting off a baseball tee, hitting off a batter's tee. So many people say, oh, that's boring. That's monotonous. That's stupid. That's what T-ballers do. You have to master the baseline understanding of what you do. So I've mastered hitting off of a batter's tee by training my mindset through that process so I can be consistent with what I'm going through. When I gain momentum every single day, I really understood that the second principle is leveraging your language. The most important conversation that we'll ever have in our life is the conversation we have with ourselves, not with God. If you have a higher power, not with your parents, not with your spouse, not with your kids, not with your boss, not with your friends. It's with yourself. And when we understand that, how to control negative thinking and not try to change it into positive thinking, but understand that we need to be neutral. 
See, we're going to go through failures all the time. And if you want to learn about failing, there's a good place to learn that from is that's from a major league baseball player. When I played for the D-backs, I hit 310. Five guys in each league hit over 300. I had 580 plate appearances. And if you hit 310 with that, that means I failed 400 times out of 580. Try doing that in the NFL. You're going to be out, bro. It's like you're done anywhere. Like any job, do that with your success rate with your students or your team. It's like, no, you're done. Like 300, you got a 300 percentage? No. So uh, there's like four simple steps that I always teach that I went through because I was the hot shot. I was the hothead. And I got kicked off every baseball team I was on from middle school to high school to junior college. I got kicked out of six games a year in in the minor leagues. And I got in fights with the managers because I didn't know how to control my emotions. So when we go through a failure, I'll use baseball as an analogy. Um, If I ground out or if I get out or if I strike out, I'm going to have a a, a negative reaction to that. It's going to stimulate an emotion that's negative. And then when that negative emotion is is, is triggered, it simulates, it it sends a chemical through my body and it goes through my body for 90 seconds. It's all it takes for that chemical from that negative failure to go through my system and then dissipate. So, so many people are 90 seconds away from a breakthrough in their life and it's been 20 25, 30 years, because when we have that failure and that chemical is uncomfortable, it stimulates another thought. And I go down that rabbit hole. So after I fail, I have to get back to my emotional center. I have to get back to neutral ASAP. The way I do that is when I have a negative thought, man, I suck, man, I ground out, man, I did that. I go to a neutral. What can I do to stay in homeostasis or my neutral state? I breathe. And I go into the step two, which is analyze that failure. So with baseball, uh, did I swing at a strike? Did I was I on time? Was 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 it was it was I focused on the pitch? There's things I could do to analyze that failure. Then I formulate a new plan. Step three, and then step four is deploy it. So after I fail, get to your neutral, my neutral thinking. Not positive thinking, not negative thinking, but that's what I can control. Is those thoughts going to my mind? That's how you leverage your language. Once I get to neutral thinking, I analyze the failure, I extract the new lesson and I deploy it. And if you have a little step process like that, you can understand how to overcome, how to navigate failure in your life with whatever you come across at any place that you're in. See, negative thoughts affect your mind and who you are 10x a positive thought. And if you say that out loud, if I was a coach, I would never let a player say anything negative out loud because if you say a negative thought out loud audibly, it's four to seven X that. So it's 40 to 70% that that negativity is going to come to fruition. You're ingraining that into who you are. So if I was a coach, hey, don't say stupid stuff. We're not allowed to say stupid stuff. You can say whatever you want. If you have to say, you just keep it in there and go to neutral thinking. And then from there is your belief. If you talk to professional athletes, every last one of them believes that if given a chance, they know they can come through. They believe in themselves because they've worked so much on mastering the craft. But belief is so powerful because the most powerful force in human nature is for us to stay congruent, stay in line with what we believe to be true about ourselves. So if you understand how we communicate with ourselves, how we understand how to leverage that language, we can form a new belief system by keeping those promises to ourselves. It's super simple, like third grade level stuff. And that's how we have to keep it. 
Well, simplicity, though, is sometimes the most difficult thing to do, but it's also the most powerful thing to do because, you know, it's not too complicated, right? But we make it complicated, right? So, you know, the language, what are the things you're saying to yourself, Shay, like currently right now, like that are helping build that belief of like that I'm loved, I'm powerful, I'm, you know, what are your affirmations that you grow through now? What's, how have you shifted your beliefs as a person that made you feel like you are worthy, you're, you know, that you are now the, the Shay of today as opposed to the Shay of 10, 15 years ago? Yeah, so that's a great question. But before, like the prelude of that is, is being aware, creating awareness of what's going on inside our minds, that chatter, whatever they call it. Because the vast majority of that is negative because external environment, our environment is so negative everywhere we turn and we're so overstimulated with so much information that that's why it's difficult to try to keep it simple. I get kids and I say, dude, I will teach you how to hit off a battery's tee and I'll teach you the million dollar formula. It's direction where you're going to hit it Two, look at the ball, three, start your swing and four, feel your swing direction, ball, achieve your load, swing feel it direction ball achieve your load feel then when you get in the game it's a three-step focus formula when do i start read the pitch react that's all you got to do that's all we do when we make millions of dollars and hit really good in the major leagues and the kids say no it can't be that easy and they won't do it because they try to do too much because there's too much information out there we have to stand guard on our mind see yeah. the negativity the weeds all that garbage it will grow it will be there automatic I have to overcome that, right? So I have to be aware. And then once I have a, a negative thought or a negative experience internally with myself, I have to switch that with a different dialogue that say, well, it's not, I can't do it. Well, I can do it. It's not like, dang it, you're not going to, yes, I can go. It's just changing that dialogue simple to a neutral thought, not to a positive, a neutral thing. What's the next thing I could do? right here if i have that negative thought what's the next action i can take to switch and rewire that pattern there's neural pathways in my mind and then i'm all, i'm constantly pouring the good in i'm constantly overriding my my program i call it rewrite your story i'm constantly rewriting my program of positive stuff of just listening to, to audible audiobooks to, to sermons to youtubes to to anything i can get podcasts to pour the good in. And that ultimately is what's going to overwrite that subconscious system, that record that's playing over and over and over again. So it all starts to make it super simple. Just become aware of what the language is going through your mind that when you talk to yourself, we're going to be on guard. We have to understand what we're saying to ourselves when we get into that situation. Well, I want to touch on that about the whole negativity thing. I like to quote Bruce Lee. Um, he always said, don't speak negatively about yourself, even as a joke, because your body doesn't know the difference. And words are energy and cast a spell of reality that you that you'll follow from those words. And I, I thought that was just amazing. And to touch back onto being, um, you know, Black History Month. One thing I think I wish people would understand is people talk about negativity, influencing our kids, how we speak to them. Um, you know, don't spank little Johnny, all this kind of stuff that affects kids and it's which is all valid. But from an African-American point of view, we when you're especially younger, you don't see any positive images of yourself unless it's in a movie, which is also a lot of stereotypes in there as well for, for, for all kinds of different um, ethnicities or for women. And you don't or unless you're an entertainer or you're an athlete. And so when kids are growing up, that's the only thing that they know. So they chase that with unbridled, but they get the false impression that 
they think that that positive image is us being in the jets and hanging out and spending the money and, and making like Jimmy, like say, making it rain and acting stupid and stuff. And so that self um, belief of that you are something beyond that is totally almost impossible sometimes to turn off when it's taken away. It's like, I'm getting walking walk in the door. I can go in neighborhoods of people. People are saying hi to me. Police officers are asking for my autograph instead of getting in my face. People of all nationalities wanting to take pictures with you. And then suddenly that's gone. That's like in a second gone. And you have no belief in yourself that you're a good person or a good man or a good whatever. I was very fortunate that I had a father and a mom and um, surrogate group of people and extended family that really kept me humble. I remember the first year I got a, um, I got a check and it's the equivalent of having like $68,000 of right now. My first check was like just for, I think like one or two months of, of NFL for my first contract. Of course, I learned about taxes later, but I just gave that to my mom and dad to help them with whatever it was. I didn't even cash it. I was in my, I remember coming home to visit. I just gave my mom and dad the equivalent of $68,000. I walk in the house, she goes, Hey, before you sit down, you better go out there and get the garbage out, go get the stuff out of help and help and go mow the lawn. I was like, excuse me? And I'm a grown man. And I'm like looking at her and I just, and I remember just getting up and going to do it. But she checked me right then and there, let me know. I don't care what you are to those people in the field. You're still my son. You're in my house. You're doing this. And I just think that kids and parents need to realize is your kid may be some phenom in some area of life, artist, maybe they're a violinist, maybe they're, they play basketball, football, soccer, major league baseball, whatever it may be. But when they walk back in the house, they're still your child and you need to set standards and you need to put guardrails on that stuff. Cause if I didn't have those guardrails, I mean, I still have my moments. And if I didn't have those guardrails, I don't know where I would have been, you know? So what would you recommend if you're like, you're talking to parents and coaches, you know, how can we set those guardrails as a community? I mean, 40 athletes has given people programs that I think would help guide people. And you have your MLB mindset. What would you say is a good way through your philosophy of putting those guardrails in place? That's a great question. I love that. And it's so true because um, my mom does the same thing. She grew up in Missouri in the South and, and I always like, and yeah, she, she, she's, oh, she's, a, she's amazing, man. And, and she's like, we always taught you two things, Shay. Always taught you two things. And tell the people on the podcast the two things I taught you. And I was mm. like, what did you teach me, Mom? She says, I taught you to make your bed, and I taught you to get your head out of your rear. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, well, that makes sense, right? Getting your head out of your rear is a guardrail. Yeah. That, that's something that gets you to understand. And, and I think right now with Generation Z, I guess that's what we're dealing with is that – what I've discovered is that this generation of children, of kids or athletes think that they can make any decision that they want and still have success. You can still have a form of success, but your behavior needs to line up with your goals to have that success. And so many kids don't understand that because they have so much information. My son's trying to like fact checking me about like, I told him cause he loves skateboarding and, 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 uh, Tony Hawk. And I said, well, Tony Hawk grew up in, in our neighborhood. And he's like, no, he didn't. He grew up here. Here, I'm like, fool, you want, you want to knock you out, dude? Like, really? Like, they didn't put that in. He did. So it's like, it's crazy. Like, they, they think that they could do whatever they want and still uh, have success. So it's not about making the right decisions. It's about not making the bad decisions. So my son right now is in middle school football. He's getting ready to go to ninth grade and he's doing really good, but he had a tendency before this, a streak where he hung out with the kids at the skate park. And there's nothing wrong with that. But my experience with that, with the people that know that space is that the kids in the skate park can make different decisions and still navigate the life. But if you want to play sports, you can't make the same decisions. 
Yeah. Right. So you got to be able to uh, abide in class. You got to be able to align yourself with what the coaches want you to do. You have to get your standards, standards set higher. So like I want the major leagues spring training uh, and I was hoping to play in AAA, the league right below the level and be a catcher. And when I got the big league spring training, I behaved like a big leaguer. See, your behavior will lead your talent and your emotions and your feelings and your ability it's how you behave. So if if you're a high school athlete and it's it's going to be uh, – I have a game fr Friday night for baseball and I have a game Saturday morning after the game finished at 11 o'clock at night, um, I can't run through McDonald's and eat garbage and then eat, drink a big Coke and then stay up all night uh, and, and video games and all that stuff and then expect to turn around in the morning and get up and not hydrate myself and then uh, go eat donuts in the morning and, and do whatever and maybe an energy drink and then go out there and expect to perform that next day in front of the place that you need to perform. It's not possible. It's all about not making the wrong decisions and limiting yourself with the decisions that you can make if you want to go to the next level. So I think what we need to do is bind together and teach coaches, teach mentors, teach teachers, teach parents that it's not about uh, the right decisions, it's about not making the bad decisions, right? So four things with my kids at school and it drives me nuts. It's like, do your homework, study, take notes, have good behavior in class. That's it. Whatever level you could do that at, that's all I want you to do. And if you do that, you give yourself a chance to start winning in life. These are intangibles. Like you just can't not study and then expect to have a good grade. Like I'm pulling my hair out with my, I thought baseball is hard. These kids are driving me nuts, man. My kids are crazy. It's just like, they know everything. It's like, dude, if you did, did you study? Oh no, I didn't study. Why? Oh, I didn't think about it. What do you mean, dude? <laughs> dude, do your homework, study a little bit. Take notes in class and have a good behavior. That's just a, a basic structure. And if we understand that baseline, then you're going to start winning in life. And what I'm trying to do with my children, um, and, and it's tough for me, and I'm sure, Jonathan, it's you too, is like, like my kids can't do what I did. Yeah. Like, I, I don't think yeah. they could do that. Like, they, they can't take a free ride or whatever because they, they, they have sports to lean back on. It's like, dude, you got to take this serious. And then my kids have expectations they put on themselves uh, because they think they need to live up to what dad did, all that stuff. I'm like, I just want to help you define winning how you want to win in life and equip yourself to do that. It's all in the behavior and the decisions we don't make. It's funny. Hey, Shay, before you go ahead, Jason. More job is I really want to do a show, dude, about just like three or four kids of kids of professional athletes and have Jimmy and Jason talk to them. I would love to see that show because I know Please have my son on. Oh, I know there's stuff that they <laughs> want to say that they want to say that they don't say to us. And I want to see that show because hey, that'd be that's a great idea, Jonathan. I think that'd I be interesting that stuff. Yeah. That'd be yeah. really cool because you guys would do great. And, and when you say that, Jonathan, I think of uh I, like my, my saving grace right now that I'm clinging on to so desperately is Kevin Hart, where he oh, said between yeah. 14 and 18, his mom was the biggest militant. Oh my gosh, I mm -hmm. can't stand it. But when he turned 24, he's like, Bing, oh my gosh, she was right. And that was the foundation. I got the goosebumps right now. The foundation of what he had to be able to go out there and have success and get that work ethic. And don't let anybody pull you down and create and design your own future. And don't let anybody tell you or dictate who you are or what you could do.
Hey, Shay, I want to dive back into something you talked about earlier. You said fulfillment. And you said that um, you had everything, cars, houses, the private jets, eating, eating great, playing at the highest level. But you weren't fulfilled on the inside. And we look at society today, anxiety's up, depression's up, people struggling. And how many people think, like, I go buy this new car, I'm going to be fulfilled. I go get this new house, I'm going to be fulfilled. I go get this new outfit, I'm going to be fulfilled. And what are they fulfilled for what? A couple hours, a day, maybe a week? Temporal. So, so can you talk about fulfillment and how do we get fulfilled and fill it from the inside instead of trying to get the outside to get us being fulfilled? And just a full disclaimer, because I'm, I'm not a hypocrite. Flying private jets is pretty darn cool. It's like <laughs> yeah, the coolest thing true. ever, man. It, 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 it takes that temporal fulfillment and make it extends it a little bit longer. But it, it all starts for the, the M, the first part of MLB mindset. It's about momentum. Like progression is the key to happiness. If we're in momentum, a man without a vision will perish. We have to have something we're always moving towards. And I say, you know, when I talk about it, it's three pillars. It's the personal pillar. It's your professional pillar. And it's your private pillar. John, I can relate. I say private pillar because professional athletes, my interpersonal relationships are my is my private life. Yes. Don't mess with my wife. Don't mess with my family. Don't mess with my kids. You can mess with me. So that's why I call it the private pillar. Private pillar. Um, so what we need to do, how do we get momentum? There's two things for us, two simple things, because we have six human needs. Four of the body, two of the spirit. I'm not talking religion, but I'm talking spirit. So the two of the spirit are we have to grow and we have to give. The best way to crush your ego, which is edging God out, is to give is to serve other people. I didn't have to serve other people because I was treated like a God and I wasn't growing other than in my profession as an athlete. I have to grow internally. What do I do on a daily basis that I need to do, which I call the pre-workout, the pre-game routine, like your morning routine, to get into flow, to fill myself up because Oprah told me to do it and she's really rich. So <laughs> I, I go out on the mountain and I trail run. I get my mind, body, and spirit. I, I'm with my dogs. I spend time with my wife. I spend time with my kids. I work out. I make sure I'm eating properly, sleeping properly. The number one thing we have to do for, for is your health, right? And three simple things for that is sleep, eat, and exercise. If we start educating ourselves and creating a simple awareness around those three areas, I'm not talking about eating broccoli and chicken and rice. <laughs> I'm talking about just educating yourself that, I need to learn to go in the right direction. Everything's at our fingertips of education. So all the information is right there. So in order for me to be fulfilled, I have to fill myself up. I have to do the things I need to do on a daily basis. I don't just jump on these podcasts and have this energy, have all this stuff. This energy, this passion comes from an internal, I call it internal absolute power. And that's where the spirit of the being of who we are comes from. And that drives my mind and my mind drives my body. So I did a speaking engagement uh, three days ago. And after two hours of talking, the guy in the front row was like, I got a question. He's a multi-million dollar uh, a real estate investor, very successful. He's like, how many days do you work out a week? And I'm like, why? Why, why are you asking that? He's like, your energy. I'm like, oh, okay. Um, energy doesn't really come from working out and it doesn't come from eating. It's influenced by that, but the energy comes from inside of who you are as a being. And that comes from filling yourself up and giving. I got to fill myself up and I got to give. I got to grow and I have to give continually. I have to continue to rewrite that program in my mind and I have to grow and I have to give.
If I'm the same person I am today as I was a year ago, I'm doing myself and the world a disservice. So that's the way I've found fulfillment. And I and I've with the study and the people I've coached and worked with, that's the way that's a common theme across the board with them too. You know, a couple of comments here. Um, I love the quote from Robin Sharma. He says that have everything but need nothing. Back to the whole private jet thing, right? So it's like you can have whatever you want, just don't need it. Like if it, you're cool with it, but you're also cool without it, right? It doesn't define you. And then there's a book that I've read called The Science of Greatness. And it says, like, it talks about surrender. And it says, like, I surrender my body to the guidance of my mind. I surrender my mind to the guidance of my soul. I surrender my soul to the guidance of God. So that's like that's like a four-part series of like surrendering and allowing your inner that's where you get that energy from, is from God, from your soul to light up the world, right? And that's what I see in you, sir, is like a, a surrenderment of like, you know, this is what I perceive myself to be. I let go of that to be a greater version of myself. So that's just kind of, as you have this energy, it doesn't come from working out. It doesn't matter how much you run or exercise, whatever. It comes from an internal belief, an internal fulfillment, a joy, a gladness, an excitement that no matter what, it doesn't mean things don't happen to you that are, that are tough or hard, mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. you find the fulfillment in working through them and becoming a better version because you grow through it. 100%. And if you don't mind, I'd like to elaborate on that, I'll share a little bit on that. What I, my personal experience as someone who's been on the top is that what I've discovered through the process and journey of what I've been through, you need to be strong enough to surrender. Yeah. What does that mean? Some people say just, just surrender, but but we cling on to so many things like, like I, I got to control this. And if I just let this go, my life might go disarray. And, disarray and, and if I don't do this and don't do that until I fully surrender, filling myself up and serving and giving. When I say serve, simply just opening a door and putting a smile on your face for somebody can do wonders. It's amazing how many people are just like, they, they, they're, they're noticed. Simple things like that. But I have to get into flow in order to have my smile there. That's one thing I searched for my whole life. And that's why I couldn't surrender is because I need to do this. I'm scared so deeply because my ego is standing in that gap in the way of my true being of who I am and my performance of what I'm doing that, that I couldn't surrender fully. And what I surrendered fully, that's when exactly what you had talking about, Jason, was that is like, I just walk through doors now and smile and it's the most amazing experience and, and bringing awareness. See, see, when I walked into a room before, when I was on top, it's just like, Hey dude, you know, you know who I am, dude, private jets. I first game winner off Mariana Rivera, two time all-star. Do you want to see how much money I have? Six cars, 300 pairs of shoes, all this stuff. It's like, I had no substance to who I was. But my goal now is to, when I walk into a room or come into presence to people, I just want to shift the energy of that room because that's what we need to do right now is to get to people. We could say all we want, but the vast majority of these kids, they don't understand what we're saying. They have to be able to feel what we're saying. In order for people to feel what we're saying, we have to resonate at a higher frequency with who we are. I never resonated at this frequency ever when I was on crushing home runs and stadiums. How do we do that? The way we resonate at a higher energy of who we are, we have to say the truth and we have to believe in what we say. How can I believe in what I say to any? I can be saying the perfect right stuff, but how can I believe it if I don't believe in myself? So it all comes back to that energy. Hey, Shay, I want to I want to go back, though. You mentioned you get out of high school. You have more your more soccer opportunities, right? OK, you want to be a major league baseball player. That was your goal. 
right? And you, you didn't get drafted out of high school like a first rounder, like automatically major league baseball. You go to junior college as a walk on, right? We live in a society that's instant gratification. People want it now. Give it to me now. If it's not working out, we're going to quit, go do something else. Explain to me how someone like yourself and you can recommend others, like, here's my goal. It's way out there. I got to start here, right? And I got to follow the processes day in, day out. It might not work out exactly what I want. I might get some setbacks come my way, obstacles, but I'm going to continue to press on and not give up and stay focused, be the best version of myself each and every day to get to where I want to be. What would your encouragement be, the strategies you can give to people, young kids, athletes that are going through that to stay the process? I love that. And it's so important. And I always took pride in working and I always take pride now in teaching people how to work. Because if you have work on the input, the output can't not come. It's a law of averages. So when I walked on to junior college, I made a commitment. It's something that you have to have inside yourself that stirs you emotionally. It's like, it just moves you. Like, I want to do this. Is that what my parents want to do or what my teammates want to do or friends? It's like, I need to want to do it. And it's, it's, I coined this phrase is we need to take delight in the discipline it takes to go out and put the work in. We can't take delight in the outcome of what we're trying to do. And that's so pivotal for baseball, hitting a baseball, because it's the most difficult thing to do in sports period. So there's a very limited chance that I'm going to be consistent with the outcome of when I'm training, hitting a baseball. So it's little wins. It's taking delight. And I call it the level up system. I have to start on level one. When I walked on at the junior college, I had to start on level one. And what was level one? Understanding the concept of what it took to go hit off the batter's tee, take ground balls, throwing. What are the principles of throwing a baseball? What are the things I need to focus on in these different areas so I can master the skill sets? Because skill sets have utility. When I need to play those skill sets and I'm really good at at what I'm doing, then I'm going to have success regardless of what we do. That's what I'm doing right now with all the stuff that I'm doing. I'm just trying to master the skill sets and I'm just getting my reps in the batting cage. I'm failing a lot. I, I, and I go back and analyze that. So it's a level up system. So many kids and so many people do want that instant gratification. How do we get that? I call it the focus formula, the four step focus formula. When I'm hitting off the batter's tee, I'm not trying to hit a line drive to the back of the net. How am I trying to focus on to get that result? Direction, ball, achieve my load, feel is a basic thing for me to get that result. And if I focus on the task at hand with a specific focus, I'm in the moment like Bruce Lee. I'm ingraining that feeling into my nervous system and I'm getting results consistently. That's how you get uh, the instant gratification and keep kids at it is teaching them how to work, what to focus on when you work. When I'm fielding a ground ball, the first step is Read the ground ball. I'm reading the ground ball for speed, location, and hop. The second step is set up for the ground ball. The third step is get my movement momentum going, my feet moving towards first base. The third thing is, the fourth thing is pick up my target and throw. That's just four simple steps to get me focused right here so I can achieve consistency. It's a law of averages. And when I when I master level one, I'll instantly go into graduate to level two. So what's the next thing? Oh, I gotta gotta master uh, a coach throwing to me. Or, or the curveball machine, or or game situation, or whatever that might be uh, in the in the in the weight room. It, when I'm stretching, 
with the nutrition, all these different aspects, either different skill sets to what you're trying to achieve, master those, but we have to understand how to focus because so many people operate in a generalized focus, fast pace. So many things are coming in and out that causes generalized thoughts. The number one thing that happens, we get confused and then fear creeps in and our self-confidence takes a hit. But if we have a specific focus, the uncluttered mind is systematic. Right. So when I take out the trash, it's take out the trash bag, put it next to it, tie it up, pull out step two, take out the trash liner, put it over the trash can. Step three, take the trash bag out the dumpster. Step four, come back in, put the trash can liner in, boom, boom, put it in. I do that every single time I complete that task. I'm not like looking at the trash, going, taking in the garage. Oh, my garage is a mess. Oh, I got to change the oil or, or I got to do this. Oh, my kids are here. I'm like so laser focused. My wife's like, just take out the dang trash, dude. I'm like, I am, but I'm getting confidence through the process, dude. We're going to the next level. I'm taking you to the promised land by taking out the trash. So if we have simple steps, it's so stupid, but this is how the successful mindset works. And when we do that, you're going to be able to stay through it and just keep going. What separated Shea Hillenbrand from the rest? Ma'am, I competed at, at the highest level at a level seven. I couldn't get to a level 10. I wasn't that good athletically, my ability, my talent, but I mastered level seven. I just stayed inside my level seven and I just rocked it. I knew everything I could, every tweak, every 1% change to master myself. And that's how I was able to compete against 10s, 11s, and 12s. Guys that are making 300, 400 million, hitting a game-winning home run off the best closer ever and not just compete, but have success. So what did I do when it became monotonous and when it got boring and when I started suffering, I didn't give up. I just kept going. And when you push across that threshold, you tap into a deeper level and a higher level of your mind that we, most people don't have access to. And that's all I did. I have zero clue how to field a ground ball. I am the worst fielder ever at fielding ground ball at third base. And I'm a two-time all-star third baseman. That's it. Just take delight in the discipline it takes to show up and put the work in. And when you have the focus formula, you will get consistent. It'll stir up hunger because you're going to get more consistent results. When that happens, watch out. Because whoever's listening might end up being a two-time all-star in the major leagues or a two-time all-star at whatever they do. The potential and the opportunities there is time for us all to start designing that all-star life. Hey, Jace, I want to, I know you're going to be wrapping up saying, I got one other thing I want to get into Shea with. You mentioned when you're a young kid, Dodger Stadium, closing your eyes, visualizing, seeing yourself the Major League Baseball player, smelling the popcorn, right? Hearing the baseball, that type of stuff. Tell me this, how did you know, like at that time? Because it's about imagination, it's so powerful. Visualizing. So you're doing that, young kids. How did you know to do that? And did you do that in the process? of going through and pursuing the dream of being a major league baseball player and continue to do that when you were a baseball player, visualize, seeing the things. Visualization, visualization is the number one tool that we all have in our tool belt. And so many people don't use it. Like Jonathan was saying, it's like our minds can't discern the difference. Our mind can't tell the difference between imagination and reality. And when you start visualizing something, when you start behaving, that's why I say behavior is so much more important than anything that you do. Right. So if I want to lose weight, I got to be careful that I don't go through after this because I'm hungry that I don't go through McDonald's. I got to make a better decision and behave differently. So it's all about how you behave and, and visualize. I think it all comes back to 
it was kind of inherently in me, but the foundation, mama said, make your bed, get your head out of your rear. When I got my head out of my rear, I found visualization. <laughs> well, Shay, uh, man, great episode today. Thank you for so much of your wisdom, knowledge, input, energy. Our last question that we always ask our guests is, well, first of all, where can people find you? And then second question is, what does it mean to win and be a champion in the game of life? So where can they find you? And then what does it mean to win and be a champion in the game of life? Yeah, I mean, you could probably tell them where to find me because you're always commenting on my stuff. <laughs> and I appreciate <laughs> that, brother. That means a lot to me because I love aligning with you guys. I'm on social. I'm on uh, Facebook, Shay Hillenbrand, uh, Instagram, Shay underscore Hillenbrand, and LinkedIn. Uh, those are kind of the places I live as Shay Hillenbrand. And then I have you can go to MLBmindset.com. Uh, that kind of shows like the, the, the formula, the program that I, I do for that to give people uh, kind of like a taste of that. But uh, to be a champion is to be able to get out of your own way, discover who you truly are by rewriting that program. When you do that, you will discover gifts and talents that you never knew you had. You'll discover a voice that's been inside you. So many people have been running from that voice for so long that voice has become a whisper and become faint. And from there, so many people have gotten to the point where they're confined inside their internal zoo, shackled to complacency and mediocrity and the status quo because life's beat them up. Once you rewrite that program and understand how to do simple things to do that, you'll discover your voice. And when you discover your voice your gifts and your talents, use that to help make somebody else's life better. When you do that, private jets, mansions, cars, money, none of that compares. Home runs, status, autographs, it's discovering who you truly are and, and align yourself with that purpose and using that for somebody else's betterment. Well, I'm gonna have to record that. What do you one think, Jonathan? That one, like, was that yeah. good enough for you, dude, or is that just crazy? That was that was perfect, dude. I was like, when I'm when I'm when I'm speechless, you know it was good. <laughs> You're ready to say, "Amen, Hallelujah." I don't know where it came from. I was that guy that played Major League Baseball. I had no voice, man. I had nothing. I was that crying little boy, desperately like, oh, forget you, and, oh, forget that, oh, like whatever. Like, I don't even know how I'm even doing this now. I, I get the, under but it's just crazy. This is the last thing I thought I'd ever be doing. I'm so grateful. You and Lorenzo O'Neill are the two people that I've um, ever met in my life that I call him Reverend, Reverend, Reverend O'Neill because he, they, you guys, you, you clearly see the passion and belief in that you mean it when you talk. And it's people, people will walk out, they talk a lot. No, listen to what they're saying, how they're coming out at you. What is yeah. it making you feel? Don't worry about the volume, worry about the frequency. You know, it's kind of like that. Mm -hmm. And to both of you two, man. You're the only two people I've ever met, and I, and I talk a lot, is that could, could shut me up. And I just go, oh, wow, I just got to hear this, you know? And I love listening to you talk, too, man. You drop so much wisdom. I love it. I love it, the experience and the perspective, well, I, right? So, so some real quick wisdom, though. Where the hell do you and Jimmy get these big-ass microphones that y'all put in front of each other? <laughs> what the hell? Like, you know, private jet microphones. You know what I did? <laughs> I Googled the best podcast microphone, and that's what came up, and I bought it. There you go. Because oh. I'm on a mission to be able to do it, right? So my thought was is that audio is so important mm -hmm. for people. If the audio is not good, people just like, see you later. Mm -hmm. So like I'm so anal about that audio. It's that detail, right? It's like those little things that you could do. And that's what I found. Yeah, he had a, It was a four-step process. He actually went online 
He, yeah. he basically typed in microphone, top podcast microphone. He ended up pulling it up. He looked at it, and then he clicked it and ordered it. Oh, okay. And now then the fourth step is it showed up. Yeah, showed up. That's <laughs> yeah. how I it's part of the six-step process. It showed up, and then he basically put it up where it's at right now, Jonathan. It's okay, Jason. We're going to get our own microphones and show them, you know. I might get a hey, couple. Man, it's okay. I got my AirPods in. It's cool right now. I'm good. Hey, hey, I'm matching with hey, one. Okay? Hey, real quick, I do want to mention something. So do you remember the, the 49ers were playing the Cowboys at, at Dallas? And so my sons, I had a third grader and a kindergartner. We turned the game on, and the 49ers were coming down out of the tunnel. And they had to do with the big boombox. I mean, it was a big old-fashioned boombox, yeah. and he was cranking it, and the 49ers <laughs> all rocking it. And my that's kids where the like, game was fun, man. The kids got a big old stereo radio right there. I go, that's a boombox, baby. That's <laughs> a big one back in the day. They're jamming it. That's cool. All right, thank you so much, Shay, for being on the show today. It's been yeah, great. You. Learned a lot, and and we definitely want to connect with you more about future stuff. And I do want to do that show with with a bunch of our kids because I think that'd be yeah. funny and interesting to hear. <laughs> I would love it. I would love it. All right, man. Have, Have a good. great day, Shay. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks guys. It's so honored to see luck. you guys. Appreciate it. All right, yeah. bye. Well, guys, you know, if you all want similar content like Shay had, but, you know, Jim and I in short videos with great content and some little amateur humor, go to 40athletes.com and we can show you all how to make your teams and your organizations build champions as a person, not necessarily as a performer. No, Jason, that's important. And Shay really touched upon it. And a lot of guys who are professional out there, I hope they do more of that, is giving back more of their knowledge and wisdom than just donating something. Don't get me wrong, charity is great, but your presence and people hearing you and talking to you is more important. And a lot of the stuff that people that we're trying to do at 40 Athletes and what he's trying to do with his MLB mindset is to help kids become better people, help them have the tools to manage things. And if anything, the pandemic has shown us that mental health and understanding how self-reliance and believing in yourself outside of what you're doing that's not who you are as jimmy always says that's what you do i think that's where we need to go more of and i'm, I'm looking forward to the, how this journey is going to go john as we wrap up give me the biggest nugget you got from today's episode from from shay i i think for me it was self-love he he must have said that like 80 times about he didn't love himself he didn't like himself he didn't believe in himself i, I would say self-love learning to love yourself and all of us struggle with that. I mean, as adults, we struggle with that. I mean, how many times have you heard podcasts or manifestations or the art of attraction or through your, in your church or through your religious community or just the universe around you, people you know, self-love, learning how to love yourself, not into an arrogant, cocky way about what you do, but who you are as a person. And I think that really starts at home. I mean, I had great parents and great um, extended family. And I try to surround myself with people like you guys that think, think the same way of looking out for yourself, but looking out for your family and being good people. How about you, Jason? Uh, momentum, language, belief, and being aware of the thoughts in your head. And I like the 90 second piece where he's like, hey, feel for like the hand on the stove, feel it for then get off and neutral. Don't try to go positive, just neutral and then go positive. So I think that was my takeaway. Jimmy. Yeah. I think for me it's like fulfillment is such a big deal. And thing like he said is you got to continue to grow yeah right mm -hmm. this way you got to grow and so many people they stop growing and then the second thing is give contribute get outside yourself right because mm -hmm. we've so much focus on ourselves and our needs and the last thing going back to what you mentioned about the language party says it is true you got to get to neutral sometimes you have those negative thoughts right and you got to get yourself back to neutral to be able to process stuff and watch what you say to yourself not yes. only internally but he said externally 
I've heard that before. The negative things you say, it's almost 70% possibility to come true, mm -hmm. right? We want to say positive things to ourselves, not the negative. Mm -hmm. Well, fellas, this has probably been our most energetic episode for sure. So it, it is keep getting better as we, as we keep moving guys. So, uh, enjoy your all's Friday. Have a great weekend, and uh, we'll see you all in the next episode. All right, guys. Thanks, guys. Take care.